If you're looking for premium quality vitamins and natural supplements, New Roots Herbal has you covered. Proudly Canadian and family owned for over 35 years, their dedication to quality and testing truly sets them apart. Each ingredient is rigorously tested by their ISO accredited lab from raw materials to final products. So you get exactly what is promised on the label, pure and potent ingredients safe from heavy metals, pesticides, and toxic chemical solvents guaranteed. New Roots Herbal products are available exclusively at health food stores. To learn more or find a store near you, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. U.S. residents can now find New Roots Herbal products on Amazon.com. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Health Power. If you came over from Talk Healthy Today with me, I really appreciate you. And of course, I love the Naturally Savvy audience. We've been doing this for nine years and Health Power is still the same show with some new features. We're going to be twice a week now, which is so exciting. Actually, we've already started being twice a week for the last couple of weeks, Tuesday and Thursday, a new episode. I'm going to mix up Thursdays a bit. I'm going to put guests and then sometimes I'm just going to highlight a few of the fantastic articles on NaturallySavvy.com because it is such an incredible resource. Speaking of incredible resources, I read a book. It blew me away. It's called Overthinking About You, Navigating Romantic Relationships When You Have Anxiety, OCD, and or Depression. It is by Allison Raskin. Now, having people in my life with actually all three of these things, uh, more than just one person, I saw so many things in this book that could help them, even if they're not looking to date, or that could help their loved ones better understand them, which is so important. Let me tell you a little bit about Allison. Allison Raskin is a New York Times bestselling author. She is also the co-host of the popular podcast, Just Between Us, and co-creator of a YouTube channel of the same name. Allison has written and developed multiple TV shows and created the original scripted podcast, Gossip. A vocal mental health advocate, Allison also runs the mental health focused Instagram account at Emotional Support Lady. Allison, welcome to Health Power. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Allison, as I mentioned in the beginning, I have several loved ones that struggle with these issues. And reading this book was so enlightening and eye opening and also really made me excited to give it to them. So thank you for that. You mentioned you got diagnosed with OCD at four years old. If you can tell us about that. So one of the things that's so funny about writing a a blend of memoir and self-help is that I actually have a terrible memory. Um, So a lot of stuff, you know, I don't really remember my childhood very well. And a lot of it really is just what my parents have have told me about it. And so from my understanding, um, my behavior changed pretty abruptly. Um, I had something called pandas, which basically means that I had strep throat and that activated the OCD in my brain. So my, you know, I, I kind of became a different kid overnight, which I can only imagine was was horrifying and terrifying for my poor parents. Um, I was like four years old and I said to my dad, um, I need to see a doctor. Something inside of me is making me sad. So I think there was definitely a self-awareness. You know, I think that that I, I could tell that something was wrong with me. Um, so it wasn't just, you know, having the OCD. It was then also feeling horrible that I had the OCD and that I didn't want to be this way and, and all of these things. Um, 
And so I was just really lucky because, you know, it, it was like 1994 or whatever. And my parents were proactive. They weren't like, oh, kids can't have problems. They were like, something is wrong here. And they addressed it quickly. They addressed it effectively. You know, they even put me on medication, even though, you know, Prozac had only been on the market for a few years at that point. Um, but they they took it as seriously as they would have taken a physical illness. And I'm, I'm eternally grateful for that. When you talked in the book about emotional regulation, that was something that was like, boom. I mean, you know, having a child who has that issue of struggling with their emotional regulation and from the time they were an infant and them being able to express to me, like you were able to express to your dad that there was something going on when they were very young. They said to me, I wish my brain could turn off the way we turn off a computer. And I already knew they were overstimulated. I mean, I could just see it in the way they acted. But to be able to put that into language is so important. So Allison, a friend of mine's daughter had that, but nowadays they're able to treat the pandas and she was able to get back. If people want to look up pan and pandas, I I highly recommend it. We're not talking about cute bears. Um, We're talking about something pretty serious. And so that triggered that for you. Wrote about not seeing this as something wrong with you, as as this is a personality thing. This This is, I see it as this is the way some people are wired. And it's not a fault. It really helps me to externalize my disorders. So Yeah, talk to us about that. I have OCD and I have anxiety. I am I am not OCD. You know, even just that little, I'm not, you know, like people will say, oh, I'm so OCD. And, and that really rubs me the wrong way because for me, I'm Allison and I struggle with OCD and, and my OCD kind of goes on top of who I am and I'm in a constant struggle to break free of it. Um, my compulsions are not my true self. I don't want to do my compulsions. I recognize that, that they're not healthy for me and that they're making my life harder. Um, and so, you know, being able to view it as something separate from me, but just something that I'm dealing with instead of like the core of who I am and my true self has really helped me like myself more, navigate the world a little easier, talk about it in a way with other people that I think it makes it easier for them to understand where I'm coming from and see that that it's causing me distress and that I think helps people understand it better and be more empathetic towards it instead of just being like, oh, why is she making me wipe my phone down for the fifth time today? Exactly. <laughs> Well, in overthinking about you navigating romantic relationships when you have anxiety, OCD, and or depression, I mean, you go into such detail, you bring in incredible experts in the book. And one of the things that really made me stop and go, oh my God, I did that, is you talked about when you when you meet somebody, if you're not in the best state, if you're in the middle of dealing with a mental health issue, or even if, or for me, I had just had some catastrophic news having something to do with my family. And I met this guy and and he, everyone called him my rock of Gibraltar. And it kind of stayed that way. Like Mark was my rock. Mm-hmm. He was my rock. But that's flipping exhausting for Mark. Right. And guess what? He, we didn't make it. Right. <laughs> we're still good friends though. We were together for six years. He took care of my mom when she was dying. Wow. Like he's amazing, right? But it just was too much. Right. And there was some other issues as well. But it's that thing of like, I might not be at my best self. Now, I think what's what's interesting with having a mental health issue is that you're you're going to it's going to be an ongoing struggle. You're going to have good days and bad days. I think it's it's not fair for someone to be like, "Well, just work on yourself and get better and then get a relationship." Cuz that's guess what? That's not how mental illness works, right? If you can speak to that. I just brought up <laughs> 
<laughs> so the premise of the book is basically if you want a partner, you deserve a partner. Like if that yes. is the lifestyle that you have decided is what you want for yourself, then you should do everything in your power to make it happen. And, but part of that is getting to a place of some level of stability and kind of the way that you view relationships where you can engage in a healthy way. That doesn't mean that you're not going to backslide. That doesn't mean you're not going to have mental health flare-ups. But when you start a relationship, you sort of want to be at a baseline of stable enough so that the dynamic that you set up isn't that caretaker patient. Some people, yeah. you know, some people like being a caretaker, but that's the minority. And for a lot of people, the dynamic that you set up at the beginning is really kind of the dynamic that you see through. And so, you know, you want to be equal part for most people want an equal partnership. And that sort of means that when you start your relationship, you want to be able to do that. You want to be able to show up for your partner in the way they're showing up for you. And then over the course of a long-term relationship, sometimes they're going to be your caregiver. Sometimes you're going to be their caregiver. You know, I just had major knee surgery and my boyfriend was doing everything for me, but that was for a limited amount of time. And like, I was very thankful. And, and I know that if he ever has surgery or goes through an illness or has a bad time, then I'll be there for him. But it, it fluctuates. It goes back and forth instead of one person always being in that caregiver role. Um, and, and I think another real thing is like, you know, when we've had struggles with our mental health, hopefully it's not the same struggle each time because you have had some experience getting out of the low or you hopefully have worked on your relationship with this thing. So my relationship towards my anxiety, even though it's still present, is very different than the, the relationship I used to have with it, where I would believe everything it told me and when I would let it really dictate my mood and everything. Now I'm able to say, oh, I'm having an anxious day and I treat it like it's a cold instead of, oh, I'm having an anxious day. That must mean my life is falling apart and there's a bigger issue I have to address immediately. <laughs> you know? Yes. And even with the depressive episodes, they can be so hard, but having more life experience of like, okay, I've had this before and being able to recognize the signs that maybe you step in and address it before you sink all the way down, you know, like, yeah, we have this fear of our history and we have this fear that things are always going to be as bad as they once were, but Hopefully you've actually developed some tools and developed some perspective. So even if you have a setback, it's not quite the same as it maybe was before. How did you get to that place where you're able to say, okay, this is my anxiety. Okay, OCD, I, I hear you, but no, <laughs> we're not doing that today. Therapy definitely helped. For me, I'm someone that needs medication. Um, I don't think medication is for everybody. I don't think everybody needs medication. But for me, I, I am able to live much better on it. And so I sort of went on and off of meds um, my, my life, throughout my life. And then I went back on meds um, in 2017. And then even, but you know, the stigma around meds is so strong that even last year I was like, oh, I don't need meds anymore. And I, and I weaned myself off of them. And then I was like, oh, I absolutely need meds. And I went back on them, you know? <laughs> um, and so for me being on the medication in my late twenties, um, and being able to incorporate the work that I had been doing in therapy throughout my twenties really allowed for a big shift. And then you know, just more knowledge about this stuff, hearing podcasts like yours, hearing people talk about this stuff. Like if you hadn't thought that you could say, 
thanks anxiety, but no thanks, you wouldn't think to do it. <laughs> you know, like sometimes you just need exposure to different resources and different ways of thinking about your mental health to be able to start to, you know, apply that to your own relationship towards it. Yeah, it's so true. And, and the stigma around medication makes me insane because you're not going to tell the diabetic not to take their insulin. Exactly. But it's also really confusing, right? Because for some people, sure. you know, if you're diabetic, you're probably going to need, ins- you know, for certain diabetics, you need insulin forever. And for some people, they only need meds for a certain amount of time or through different stages in their life. And, and it is much more fluid than I think other medications are. And so that makes it really confusing. Yeah. Um, but you know, knowing that you're in control, that like, yes, you have a doctor that prescribes it, but you're the person who gets to sort of lead the ship in some ways. You're allowed to say what's working for you, what's not working for you, what side effects you're willing to tolerate or not tolerate. You're allowed to try different things. Um, and, and I think maybe empowering the client a bit more in the medication journey will hopefully make it a little less scary. You know, speaking of side effects, I have to say, I mean, your parents sound lovely, but when your dad gave you that post-it that said 125 to 135, I I flashed to Sex in the City when that guy broke up with Carrie on a post-it. Yeah, so I, I'll preface it by saying my dad had the best of intentions. And I of course, and I also think that we live in an incredibly fat-phobic society, and that generation in particular had it had it bad. Um, and so I, I totally understand where he was coming from, even if I, I found it a little misguided. Um, so when I was younger, I was on, on, on Paxil from eight to 12 years old. And I thought that I was just someone who had a slower metabolism. I was a heavier kid and we thought that that was sort of just my body. And then when I went off of the Paxil at 12, I dropped all of this weight and it became apparent that that had actually been a side effect of the medication. And so then when I went back on Zoloft um, in 2017, I ended up gaining like over 20 pounds. But it was also this like wonderful experience where my brain finally felt like mm. calm. <laughs> like I, I remember being like, oh my goodness, is this how other people have just moved through the world this whole time? This is amazing. <laughs> um, but, you know, my parents, you know, having had seen what had happened to me when I was younger, they were a little concerned that I had put on so much weight and that it was a side effect of the medication. And they, they wanted me to maybe try a different med. But my dad sort of went about it in a, you know, in a, in a peculiar way <laughs> where he, he had sort of looked up, um, you know, what was the quote unquote healthy weight for my height. And it had been 125 to 135. And I was over that. But I, you know, again, there's so much misguidance out there about what is a healthy weight and that, you know, equating weight to health, which is actually not true. Um, yes. And so I, I, I think it was him being just a little misinformed. And so his concern was for my health, even though I don't think he needed to be. Um, but I, you know, I actually ended up going, I ended up switching medications. I came to a point where I was like, you know what, I'm in a good enough place where I feel like maybe I, I should switch meds. I, I do, you know, I, I started to see my face in the mirror and it, it didn't feel like my face anymore. Um, I, it wasn't for, as familiar to me. And so I, I decided that I was in a place where I was stable enough to try a, a different medication. Um, and you know, I lost weight and, and guess what? I gained it back and even more, you know? And so my body <laughs> is, is definitely heavier than I had thought that my body would be. Um, and, you know, growing up on the internet, coming up on the internet and, and having people comment that to me quite often and um, being able to see, you know, hours and hours of footage of me looking very different than I look now, you know, it has been a struggle. And 
But I also don't know if it's even the meds. I think it's also my 30s and the fact that I don't diet and that I I, I eat kind of what I want to eat because that's the life I want to live. And and I, I could obsess about losing the weight or I could just live my life. And um, I've chosen to just live my life. I'm so glad to hear you say that. You know, one of the things that I've been wanting to do for a long time with this show is get away from the weight loss and the, you know, there's so much more to health. Mm-hmm. And, and we just, I just did an episode um, on health at every size. It's so annoyed that people make these assumptions. You know, they're like, oh, so-and-so is promoting obesity. I'm like, okay, so the models who are like dipping cotton balls in Gatorade, you're cool with that? All right, let's talk about the complexities of this dating. Okay, so I'm one of those people, I tend to put everything out there, right? And there's a way that you want to do it if you have a, a, you know, a mental health issue that's ongoing. And yes, you're, you know, you're getting help and you're dealing with it. But like I said, it's going to ebb and flow, right? And so I could see myself just being like, blah, 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 right? <laughs> but <laughs> that's not always the best way. My friend from childhood who has agoraphobia, she would always be afraid to tell people. I never understood it. I'm like, why? Then they'll know why you don't want to go. Isn't it better? She's like, people don't, they don't understand. This is in the 80s. Uh-huh. They're like, they're not going to understand. And so I think there's that hard balance of people are going to think I'm weird. People are going to think I'm crazy. People are going to think I'm this, you know, and I use that word on purpose because crazy because people are have that negative connotation you know, versus, but I want this person to know me and all of me. So how do we balance that? I think it's two things. I think one is what is your relationship to this struggle or disorder? Because it makes a lot of sense to feel shame around it. It makes a lot of sense to have judgment around it, but also those things aren't serving you. And so I think doing a lot of work on yourself in terms of like, like we talked about, this is something that I deal with, but it doesn't define me. It doesn't make me have less value. And hopefully it's not something that I'm personally ashamed of. And then what is the way in which you disclose? Because there's a way that you disclose where you are, the energy in which you are disclosing is one filled with anxiety and fear and uh, you know, that you're, that you're scared that they're going to leave you or that you're sharing compulsively because you just want to get it all out there. So you know, for sure, if they're going to reject or accept you. And then there's the way which I recommend, which is being in control of your disclosure, where you really are thoughtful about the way that you do it. You think both in terms of what environment am I disclosing in? Am I disclosing in a loud restaurant where they can barely hear me and you're worried other people are going to be listening? Or is it a calm Sunday afternoon where we have some time to like dig into it if we need to and ask questions and be curious? And especially when you're sharing it with a romantic partner, really coming from the place of I'm sharing this because it is a part of me. It's a part of my story and explains how I became the person that I am. But I'm not sharing it because this is your responsibility. I am in control of my mental health. My mental health is my responsibility. And I'm just letting you know something important about me. Um, and I think that those things come off very differently for the person receiving the information. And then also the idea that you don't need to share everything all at once. If you're getting to know this person, things are going to come up over time. It's never just going to be one conversation. And allowing for things to come out bit by bit over time, you know, you can start with those broad strokes, but... You also don't need to get into all the nitty gritty details and also really leading with who is what is relevant for you today, because what I went through when I was 16, yes, it happened, but that's not who I am now. So I don't need to get into the lows of what I, you know, wanted to die in college because I don't currently want to die, which is wonderful, you know, but like 
really paying more attention to what do they, what kind of like, what do they need to know? What and how can I be in control of the way that I share it? Right. And I would think you'd want them to know enough so you can gauge if they're going to be a good partner or not. Because if they act like a jerk and they're like, ah, our mental health doesn't exist <laughs> or everyone I know has ADHD, like that makes me insane. And it makes me crazy when people like to say crazy. It makes me upset. So I have to change my language when people are like, oh, everybody has, a, oh, I, you know, I'm OCD when they're clearly not. Or maybe they are. But you know what I mean? Like the way we throw this jargon around, it's really discounting to people who are really struggling. Exactly. And, and seeing this opportunity of the disclosure is not just a, a moment for them to, like I said, accept or reject you, but for you to also gather information about how they receive that information. Do they receive it well? Are they curious? Do they ask questions? Do they create a safe space for you? And if they do, wonderful. But if they don't, that's not a reflection of you. As It's a reflection of them. And, and it's some signs that maybe this isn't someone who is worth me sharing my vulnerabilities or worth my effort to build a relationship with because they're not going to be the kind of partner that I need or deserve. I want to talk a little bit about talking about sex. I thought that chapter, the, the whole book's amazing. I loved your candor. I loved your openness. You talked about that. You've talked about all these other things, right? I mean, you're in the public and you've got a huge following and you're incredible. But this was something that was new. How did it feel to be that vulnerable? And then maybe we can just spend a couple minutes like kind of digging into that chapter. <laughs> so yes, like you said, you know, I, I have had a YouTube channel since 2014. I have a podcast. I, I've always been very open about my mental health. I've been open about my suicidal ideation. I've been open about my self-harm. And people would always be like, oh, that's so brave of you. And I'm like, not really, because I don't have any trouble talking about it. Like, it doesn't cause me discomfort to talk about it. And therefore, it's vulnerable, but I didn't necessarily think it was brave because it wasn't hard to do. Uh, but I have never before this book ever talked about my difficulties with sex and intimacy and um, orgasming and all of that stuff. And and so I actually, you know, that this is where I'm like, okay, I'm, I was able to like congratulate myself for being brave and in, in writing it because I did not want to write it. I, <laughs> I, I, I hated every moment of it. I hated rewriting it. I hated recording the audiobook chapter for it. Like I get so worried that like in this moment you bring it up, like I don't like to talk about it. <laughs> but I also think that that's why I had to write it because you know, in a lot of ways, I wrote this book for me 10 years ago, because this book didn't exist. And I needed it. And I definitely needed this chapter, because I felt so alone in my relationship to sex and my anxieties around sex and feeling like my body was physically broken. When in reality, I was just most likely struggling with anxiety and struggling with the ability to get to a, a you know, an open enough place to physically enjoy it in the way other people do in the movies or on TV. And, and so in a lot of ways, I do think it is the most important chapter of the book, because I don't see it anywhere else. Yeah, I know. And, and I thought it was interesting, too, because I masturbated a lot as a child, too. Sometimes I'm like, did I break my clitoris? Because... <laughs> <laughs> it takes a lot. It's interesting to like think about that. Like, why isn't my body not responding? I'm really into this. I'm into this person. Sometimes your body responds. Sometimes it doesn't. It doesn't mean you're not in the, into the person, right? It's just bodies are complicated and emotions and anxiety, right? It clouds it. Well, that's the whole thing, right? It's like you think, oh, that sex is different than any other part of life. But if you have anxiety in every other part of life, guess what? It's going to show up in the bedroom. But we just never talk about that. So then when it does, you think something's wrong with you. 
Yeah, that's so true. I would love to just jump into chapter seven a little bit. How do I date productively? Because again, this book is, I think this is helpful for everybody who has these issues and everybody who loves people who have these issues. And I think that the fact that like I was reading it thinking, you know, I'm not even, I've been with my husband for 23 years. We're doing pretty good, but wow, a lot of this really applies to people that I know and, and it applies to myself in some ways. I just thought it was incredible. So what are, just give us a few. I want people to get the book again, overthinking about you navigating romantic relationships when you have anxiety, OCD and or depression. Just give us a few good uh, dating productively tips. So I think it's really important to know what you are looking for and know what you are looking for in two big categories. And the first is what are your values? You know, what do you value in life? Do you value financial security? Do you value passion? Do you value family? And and there are no wrong answers. It's just what do you personally value? And then when you're dating, you need to find people who value the same things (laughs) or else it's going to be a, a big struggle. And then the other component is what kind of lifestyle do you want? You know, are you someone who wants to have five kids or are you someone who doesn't want to have kids? Do you want to move around the country every few years or do you need to stay close to your aging parents? Kind of knowing these two crucial things about yourself, your values and your lifestyle, you know, choices can really help you when you go into out into the dating world, because then you're not just looking at chemistry with the other person. You're not just, does this person make me laugh? Are they fun to talk to? It's also, can we build a life together? Or are we going to be constantly at odds because the life that we each want is so different? Um, and then paying attention to that and not, and then when they say, oh yeah, I don't want to have kids. And then you're like, well, I really want to have kids, but I'm sure I could change their mind. No, <laughs> like cut your losses, date productively, only move forward with people where you at least align on those things. There's still going to be conflict. There's still going to be hard times, but if you don't even align on those two crucial parts, you're really kind of setting yourself up for an uphill battle. You know, Allison, I'd love for you to come back uh, when you, you have time. I know right now you're doing this wonderful book publicity, but I would love to do a show about how to support your loved ones that have mental health issues because I have people in my life and sometimes I feel like I think I'm doing this right. And I, sometimes I'm like, I shouldn't have said that. That was stupid. That was insensitive, you know, especially around people with eating disorders or body dysmorphia where you just want to help them so badly. So I don't know if that's something you could touch on, but I feel like you'd be really great oh, thank help you. to more audience. <laughs> You know, I, I always say for people to not focus on saying the right thing, but focus on showing up. You know, it can be really hard to say the right thing because there's not the right thing. And when people are in certain, in certain moods or have certain issues, they're not going to hear you anyway. But what they are going to hear or feel is your presence. They're going to feel like that you are there with them, that even though they are going through this, hey, you call the next day anyway and check in. And and sometimes I think it can be really helpful instead of like hyper fixating on, on solving the issue, just instead saying, why don't we go do something fun together? Why don't we watch our favorite movie? Why don't we spend some quality time? And I think in a lot of ways that can be even more helpful than rehashing this issue that you've talked about 300 times and they are not listening to you anyway. Oh my gosh, you're so right. My friend, it drives me nuts. My friend will come over and I'll start in on her like, did you eat today? She's like, I thought we were going to have a nice day today, Lisa. I thought we were going to watch This Is Us. And I'm like, we are, damn it. You know, Because you're not their therapist. And and that's no, and it's not. a different role. Being a friend is a different role than a therapist. Being a partner is a different role than a therapist. And and so you don't need to provide you it's not your job to fix them. It's your job to say I love you and I'm here even though you're suffering. 
Oh, that's great. See, that was so immensely helpful. <laughs> Allison, you're great. Was there anything you wanted to add? Obviously, I want all your social media, but anything you wanted to add about the book? And and you are always welcome here. Oh, I, I just think you're fantastic. And there's still so much I'd love to talk about with you. Oh, just that, you know, I think even if you haven't been diagnosed with these disorders, I, I think that the book is still hopefully a, a helpful resource. Um, so even if you're like, oh, I don't have these things, I think if you've just maybe struggled with romantic relationships in general, it can hopefully be helpful. All right. Tell us all the ways we can find you. <laughs> so I'm at Allison Raskin on socials. I also have a mental health focused Instagram account, um, Emotional Support Lady, which is also a sub stack with a weekly blog and podcasts and advice column. And then my weekly podcast is called Just Between Us, if you want to check that out. Oh, absolutely. You are such a gem, Allison. <laughs> I mean, you just, you're beautiful inside and out. You, I really do hope you'll come back to Health Power. It's been such a, just such a joy. Oh, I would love to. Thank you so much. Thanks, Allison. Well, that's it for our show today. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you and we would appreciate it if you could please rate and review and leave a comment because the more you engage with our podcast, the more you will find it and help other people find it wherever they listen to their podcast. So be sure to follow us. I'm at Andrea Donsky and at Naturally Savvy and Lisa at Lisa Davis MPH. Thank you so much. And please share this episode because the more you share shows you care. We'll see you next time. <laughs>